Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. Our essay this week is called How to Be an Evangelist. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, April the 16th, 2017. It's Easter Sunday. This is a guest essay by Sarah Miles. Sarah Miles is the author of Take This Bread, A Radical Conversion, a second book, Jesus Freak, Feeding, Healing, Raising the Dead, and then a third book, City of God, Faith in the Streets. You can learn more about Sarah at sarahmiles.net. Her essay is based upon John chapter 20, How to Be an Evangelist. Several years ago, in a town whose very name is synonymous with faithless, pot-smoking secularism, I found myself in a rather dumpy little Roman Catholic cinderblock church one rainy afternoon. I was standing in line with swarms of noisy second graders, Filipina grandmothers, big Mexican families, nerdy university students, and a bunch of Irish construction workers and windbreakers, all waiting, like me, to kiss a fragment of bone, venerated for a thousand years and claimed to be from the tibia of Mary Magdalene. Now, I'm not so much interested in whether this relic, or any relic for that matter, is real, or if it truly belongs to the same woman described in John's Easter, Easter Gospel, nor am I interested in proving scientifically whether all the stories about Mag Mary Magdalene are accurate. No, what I'm interested in is ten centuries of kissing and the power of evangelical witness to bring me to my knees back there in Berkeley, California, because I'm very interested in what this gospel has to teach us about how to become apostles and evangelists of Christ. Mary Magdalene, hailed by the Eastern Church as the Apostle to the Apostles, is the first Christian evangelist. She was the first to witness the resurrected Jesus and share the good news with others, even though the men didn't believe her. And she spoke with so much authority that on Easter morning, 2,000 years later, we still hear the cry she launched for the first time, Christ is risen. How did she become an evangelist and apostle? After Jesus cast out seven demons from Mary of Magdala, in contemporary language, healing her spiritual suffering and or psychological distress and or physical anguish, she became Jesus' disciple, supporting him and the others from her own resources. Unusually for a woman of her time, Mary was in control of her own money and made her own life decision to follow Jesus. Independent and unattached, she traveled freely with men and women she was not related to, ministering to them without shame. In the Gospels, Mary Magdalene stands out because, remarkably, she's not identified by a husband's name, or a father's, or as somebody's sister or mother. No, she has her own name, the name Jesus calls her by. Mary accompanied Jesus on his last journey to Jerusalem and, with a group of other women followers, stayed close when the men had fled in order to witness the crucifixion. 
She remained there faithfully in that terrible place until the body was taken down and laid in a tomb. After the Sabbath, in the early hours before dawn, the women went to anoint Jesus' corpse and found the tomb empty. Mary ran to tell other disciples, who went away when they found the body gone. But Mary remained at the door of the tomb, weeping. She saw two angels dressed in white and told them she didn't know where her Lord had been taken. And when a stranger, just a gardener, addressed her, she begged him, too, to help her find Jesus' body so that she could care for it. Mary was desperate to find out the truth of what had happened to her beloved friend and teacher. And when the stranger said her name, she knew the truth. Mary, he said. Rabboni, she said, embracing him. And then Jesus sent Mary out as his ambassador, instructing, Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. That's the word. That's the gospel. So let me share the three things I believe this story shows about how to become apostles, evangelists, like Mary Magdalene. First, all the Gospels suggest strongly that Jesus, and thus evangelical witness to Jesus, belongs to people who have little to lose when it comes to worldly status, like the lepers, loose women, cripples, drunkards, foreigners, prisoners, slaves, helpless babies who populate Jesus' parables, and his heart. People like Mary Magdalene, or the poor stumbling fisher, fisherman Peter, or Jesus' own humiliated mother. People whose sickness or craziness or lack of correct religion makes them unclean, whose scandalous social position strips them of privilege. In the modern world, that would be people like me, a lesbian high school dropout with part-time jobs and an illegitimate child. Of course, dig a little deeper, and the Gospels also show that Jesus, and thus evangelical witness to Jesus, belongs to people who, in the eyes of the world, have a lot of power and privilege. People like a rich young man, a landowner, a woman of independent means, a patriarch and the wealthy, party-throwing kings who populate Jesus' parables, and his heart. People like Mary of Bethany, or the tax collector Zacchaeus, or the president of the synagogue. In the modern world, that too would be people like me. A white woman with the United States passport in a home of my own. Do you follow me? Whether you have three houses or three minimum wage jobs, being an evangelist is not about how other people see you. Jesus sees you, and he calls you by your own name. Jesus will send you out to do what needs to be done. You belong to Jesus. And the only trick about becoming his apostle is that you have to be willing to lose yourself, as did everyone, rich or poor, who left their nets behind, left the dead unburied, left a luxurious home or a dirt floor hut, left family, familiarity, even the respect of other disciples, 
to follow Jesus and proclaim his gospel. So the first thing to know about becoming an apostle is that it's a role open to everyone. The second thing this gospel teaches us about becoming an apostle is that you need to look into the tomb for yourself. You need to go right up to the scariest, ugliest, saddest place in the world before the sun has risen and look without flinching into every dark corner. It's easier, of course, not to look too closely at what's dead or what's missing. It's so tempting to take to just take a quick glimpse around and leave, and maybe later you can pretend everything's okay. But honestly, how many of us are sure everything's okay? If I really look closely at our world, I'm going to see people who are as brokenhearted as the disciples after their teacher was killed, who hurt and are hurt by others, who live with violence, who are possessed by and suffering from seven demons, I bet if I peer in, I'll find something a lot like the broken bodies of the thieves and petty hoodlums executed next to Jesus. I'll find the casual cruelty of the police and soldiers and the terror of the complicit crowd. And I know if I look into my own soul, I'll see myself falling asleep in the garden, denying the truth out of fear, and failing to be present for the people I should love the most. But the spirit story of Mary Magdalene shows us, don't be afraid. Even when it makes you weep, go right up to the tomb and look in. Because the second thing about becoming an apostle is that it requires you to experience Christ crucified. You cannot be an evangelist for the resurrection unless you know the tomb. And the third requirement for becoming like Mary Magdalene, well, it's something none of the other disciples could bring themselves to do. You have to talk to the gardener. You have to trust some stranger who comes to you in the worst moment when you're alone and weeping over the murder of your friend. Say, like Mary, your community is terrified and splintering. You're lost in your own sorrow and fear of death. If the powerful didn't spare him, why will they spare you? You're in despair over your own helplessness, your own inability to make God do what you want. And then you run across someone who does not matter, who isn't the person you hope to see, who's sort of dirty and doesn't belong in the picture. And you talk to him anyway. Through your tears, you ask for his help. You let him call you by your name. You open yourself up to a low-caste stranger, and so you come to know the word of the living God. Before you can be an evangelist, you must be evangelized by the gardener, or, as the other apostles were, by a mere woman. And that's the third thing Mary Magdalene shows us. Becoming an apostle requires receiving good news from strangers. It means listening to the word of resurrection in the most unlikely places. Oh, wait, there's actually a fourth thing, maybe the hardest. You have to run and tell your friends the story. Listen, I have seen 
the Lord. They won't necessarily want to hear it, but don't be afraid. Mary Magdalene went on to proclaim the good news of her living Lord everywhere, preaching the word in palaces and villages throughout the pagan world, until around the year 72 AD, she finally died in Gaul, where that little piece of bone that I kissed back there in Berkeley is said to have been found. According to one story, Mary Magdalene once brought an egg symbolizing new life to the Roman emperor Tiberius and told him about Jesus. A person can no more rise from the dead, said the emperor impatiently, than that egg can turn to red. The egg turned to red in Mary's hand. Christ is risen, she said. So let us witness with Mary. To be an evangelist, you don't have to be the right kind of person. You don't have to know the right answers. You just have to hear Mary Magdalene, the first apostle, who's still telling the rest of us disciples not to be afraid who is calling us to look into the tomb, talk to the gardener, and run to share the good news of Easter always. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. A guest essay by Sarah Miles. For books this week, I review a new book by Viet Tan Nguyen. The title, The Refugees, New York, Grove Press, 2017. This book is 209 pages long. Viet Tan Nguyen comes from a family of refugees. His parents were displaced twice, first in 1954 and then again in 1975 when Viet himself came to America as a little boy after the fall of Saigon. His parents first settled in Pennsylvania and later in San Jose, California, where they opened a grocery store, which is in fact the setting for one of his short stories. Seven years after landing in America, his older brother Tung matriculated at Harvard while Viet would complete two degrees at Berkeley, including his Ph.D. in 1997. His wife and fellow writer, Lan Dong, is also a refugee. Today, Viet Tan Nguyen is the Errol Arnold Professor of English in American Studies and Ethnicity at the University of Southern California. His debut novel, the title of which was called The Sympathizer, won numerous awards, including the 2016 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction, and made at least 30 Book of the Year lists. In March 2016, he followed up that novel with a work of nonfiction called Nothing Ever Dies, Vietnam and the Memory of War, Harvard University Press. His website calls the book the critical bookend to a creative project whose fictional bookend was the sympathizer. According to Nguyen, that book, Nothing Ever Dies, examines how the so-called Vietnam War has been remembered by many countries and people, from the U.S. to Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, and South Korea. 
In the book under review, The Refugees, the eight short stories were written across 20 years and presumably before his novel. Refugees live hyphenated lives between two worlds, between past and present, the old country that you left and the new country where you live, between your mother tongue and your adopted language, between remembering and forgetting, assimilating and conforming, or living on the periphery of a new culture. Refugees are third culture people who can be obsessed with identity. They are in the throes of culture shock about language, food, landscape, and even the quality of light in a new country. One thing is for sure, and Guyan's son, Ellison, mentioned in the afterword, will have a radically different experience of America than did his parents and his grandparents. The Pulitzer Prize-winning writer Viet Thang Nguyen. The book is a collection of eight short stories. The title, The Refugees. And for movies, La La Land from 2016. This romantic comedy and musical was a fan favorite at the end of 2016 among both popular and professional critics, earning seven nominations for Golden Globes. Rolling Stone magazine named it their favorite film of the year. The story about two aspiring artists is set, where else, in Los Angeles. Sebastian is a struggling jazz pianist who wants to open his own club in order to play the real stuff and stay true to his craft. An actress barista named Mia, who serves lattes to the movie stars on set, is tired of humiliating auditions. They first meet in an incidence of road rage caused by freeway gridlock. After several false starts, snarky encounters, and dingy music venues, their romantic flame ignites. But as they each pursue their dreams and enjoy some success against all odds, what will become of their new love? This being a musical, Sebastian and Mia break out in song and dance a couple dozen times to an original soundtrack and lyrics composed by Justin Hurwitz. This is whimsical and escapist cinema at its best which is to say, a real gift in our otherwise current gloomy culture. Following your passion, pursuing your dreams, and falling in love never looked so attractive. La La Land from 2016. And for Easter, we've posted a marvelous poem by John Updike. John Updike lived from 1932 to 2009. The title of the poem, Seven Stanzas at Easter. Make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecules re 
the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. It was not as the flowers, each soft spring recurrent. It was not as his spirit in the mouths and fuddled eyes of the eleven apostles. It was as his flesh, ours. The same hinged thumbs and toes, the same valved heart that pierced, died, withered, paused, and then regathered out of enduring might new strength to enclose. Let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping, transcendence, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded credulity of earlier ages. Let us walk through the door. The stone is rolled back, not paper mache, not a stone in a story, but the vast rock of materiality that in the slow grinding of time will eclipse for each of us the whole light of day. And if we will have an angel at the tomb, make it a real angel, weighty with Max Planck's quanta, vivid with hair, opaque in the dawn light, robed in real linen spun on a definite loom. Let us not seek to make it less monstrous for our own convenience, our own sense of beauty, lest, awakened in one unthinkable hour, we are embarrassed by the miracle and crushed by remonstrance. John Updike, Seven Stanzas at Easter. And thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, April 16th, 2017, Easter Sunday. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.